Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Ah. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. Welcome to episode 229 with my guests, Kim and Sheila. I'm Paul Gilmartin. This is the Mental Illness Happy Hour, a place for honesty about all the battles in our heads from medically diagnosed conditions, past traumas, and sexual dysfunction to everyday compulsive negative thinking. This show is not meant to be a substitute for professional mental counseling. I'm not a doctor. I'm not a therapist. This is more like a waiting room that doesn't suck. Uh, The website for this show is mentalpod.com. And uh, while I'm thinking of it, uh, we have a survey um, that I would love for you guys to to take. It only takes five minutes. It's completely anonymous. And it's it's different from the, than the surveys that I um, where I read your responses on the show. This is one to help uh, our advertisers, potential advertisers, get to know what your interests are. And uh, like I said, it's completely anonymous. It'll take you five minutes. And um, when you're finished, you can enter a monthly drawing and win a $100 Amazon gift card. Um, and obviously, you're Email address for that would not be used to give to advertisers. We just use that in-house to let you know you want a gift card. Um, the URL for uh, to take the survey is podsurvey.com slash mentalpod. And I'll put it up on the uh, the website underneath uh, this, uh, this episode on the uh, show notes. So you can just go there and click on it if you forget. But uh, it really helps us um, connect with advertisers and... Um, make sure that it's a good match so they continue to advertise with us and that helps keep the show free. So please do it. Again, podsurvey.com slash mentalpod. On a more serious note, um, I saw something today that really, really disturbed me. And I don't know if you guys, it's been in the news a little bit, but um, Pizza Hut now has a crust it is filled with hot dogs. I see a lot of stuff, hear a lot of stuff, 
doing this show. We had a survey filled out by a woman who, when she was a child, she was molested by a guy who had a hook for a hand, had people blowing their dogs. I got to say, a pizza crust filled with hot dogs is right up there. I can't get it out of my head. You know what bothers me? Here's, here's, here's a, the other events that I described. Horrible. Horrible. But they weren't ringed with sausages. There is something about a corporation putting animal flesh into geometric shapes that just doesn't sit right with me. And I think the part that bothers me the most, if I tried it, I would probably love it. I think I need to fill out a survey. This is a struggle in a sentence survey, and this was filled out by a guy who calls himself Tom G. And a snapshot from his life, he writes, when I go to a concert, I feel like like I'm the one on stage. The whole crowd behind me is watching me, not the show. If I'm not dancing, they're thinking I'm lame. If I am, they think I look like an idiot. This was filled out by a woman who calls herself Schmidt. And about her depression, she writes, drowning and dragging down every lifeguard. About her anxiety, she writes, my mind is fine, but my body is preparing for war. Snapshot from her life. Starting the day hunched over, throwing up on my feet in the shower from the sick black feeling in my stomach. This is filled out by a woman who calls herself Short Circuit. About her anxiety, she writes, I feel like my brain is a circuit board that someone poured water on. About having a uh, OCD, she writes, if my house isn't clean, it reflects how I fail to care for my loved ones. Uh, Aurora Flora uh, writes about her depression. All the colors, flavors, music, and beauty have been stolen from me. About her anorexia, it is fucked up when feeling your body starve itself feels just as satisfying as a good healthy meal used to feel. About her love addiction, she writes, I'm an empty container with holes in the bottom and no matter how much I beg to be filled, I am always being drained. About being a sex addict, she writes, I need to be fucked into oblivion until every piece of me is destroyed and unrecognizable. About her her codependency, she writes, you make me make you hate me, but don't worry, I'll fix it. About her PTSD, little pieces of my brain have been turned into well-hidden landmines. And about being a sex crime victim, she writes, if I tell myself over and over again that I said yes, my brain will forget the no. My God, somebody does what I've been doing. There's shame. You have boundary issues. I feel guilty for hating my mom. I will be high by 4 p.m. You feel helpless. I will be in hell by 4.15. Prison was not easy. But I deserved it. I think I'm just addicted to lying. I rubbed my body in mud and I laid in the swamp. Didn't move for six hours. I looked forward to and dreaded each meal at the same time. I think I desperately, desperately wanted to talk about it, but I didn't know how to start the conversation. And that's when I I called the suicide hotline. A good Craigslist experience is if you are alive at the end of it. So, (laughs) So, that is when I first felt love. Like, I first felt 
reaching out to the people and sharing with the other people. Um, this intimate connection where people do stuff for each other without wanting something in return. Yeah, I just, I surrender. I think I was 28 and that was the first time I ever experienced that and it was amazing. I'm here with uh, listeners uh, Sheila and Kim, and their their friend Alexandra is chilling out in the uh, in a recliner. She's off mic, um, but Sheila and Kim, uh, you contacted me a, a while back, and you said you were going to be visiting Los Angeles. Yeah, and and I had read a survey yes. of yours. Um, I'm sure the the regular listeners remember it. Uh, do you want to describe, uh, sure, Sheila, the what you filled out? It was an awfulsome moment, right? Yeah, it was. Well, it was an awesome moment to hear you read it because I was driving in my car back from um, back from tutoring, and it was a long drive. And I love your podcast, and it kind of gets me from point A to point B with uh, my commuting. And when you read my name f-u-i-b-s i literally started pounding the steering wheels like yes this is mine this is mine um because you have ibs uh, yeah, yes. yeah 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 so yeah. it's an it's an f-u to my irritable bowel syndrome right so um i guess the long and the short version is um i suffer from really really debilitating irritable bowel syndrome and i can either be constipated for two weeks or um, have diarrhea seven to ten times a day, um, sometimes without my control. And this was one of the constipation bouts. So one of the ways I facilitate a bowel movement when I'm constipated um, is to go for a really fast run. And I was running, and I had to go. And when you're backed up for two weeks, you really don't care. Oh, you I've don't, been there. Yeah. I've yeah. been there. It's shameless. So I found what seemed like the most covert area uh, to go, and I immediately dropped trow and just, oh, it was sweet relief. It was awesome until um, the security light went on, and the family was standing there behind... <laughs> behind the glass window it was like you know really like um you know photogenic family and they just looked like i was the antichrist and uh yeah and you couldn't stop the glory at that moment no hell no 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 no, no. you gotta let that that you gotta let that shit out it's like it's like trying to take food away from a starving person at that point you're like i've been dreaming of this moment for two weeks (laughs) i don't care i didn't care if i got arrested i'd be like at least i'm comfortable so um yeah he he asked me um the the father Mm -hmm. uh, presumably the father um um if i was some kind of animal <laughs> and yes. I, well i guess i actually i am humans are animals but uh yeah so i i commit i finished up the uh the shitting and i pulled up my pants and um <clears throat> i uh i said i barked twice <laughs> and said good day to you sir and sprinted back to my aunt's house <laughs> Uh, and never to be found. But I did not, unlike you, Paul, revisit the site of the incident, which I should have done. But they, they had a face association, so I was trying to fly under yeah. the radar. I, if I had been spotted, I would have not gone back and no. revisited. But I had to revisit because mine was in pitch black, and it felt glorious. It is. It it's felt so, like a masterpiece. It is. And it I, truly is. I had to come back. Was yours a dental chair? Did you get lifted off the ground by yours? Um, n- No, but I, um, I have perfected how to how to do it to get torquage even when i'm uh 
<laughs> even when I'm... How many know. people have turned off the podcast right now? <laughs> 50% probably. Yeah. Uh, but go ahead, torquage. Yeah, torquage, you know. Do you get, you get the, the you, resistance and the force and sure. I, I got it. I All got right. it down. We don't need any more details, I We guess. don't. I think we've, I think we've hit our poo quota for, uh, for the entire episode. Although I do want to talk about, uh, living with a, a medical, medical condition that is that the taxes, uh, your emotions and your, and your yeah. mental state. Because, uh, I get emails from listeners who are like, when are you going to do episodes about people that live with debilitating mm-hmm. or, um, mentally fatiguing, uh, health issues? And mm-hmm. so, Let's let's talk about uh, what it does to you emotionally and, and physically dealing dealing with this. How long have you lived with it? Um, it it's at its. And by the cl- way, I'm going to need your asshole to sign a waiver. Sure. Um, I it, I'll have to clench it, and I just hope it's with one of those calligraphy pens, okay? Because I take that seriously. Um, I've had it. Probably the way I gauge it is I just remember when I lived with uh, my first boyfriend, he always had to keep the door open when I went for a run because he knew that as soon as I came in, it was going to be a a literal Mm shitstorm. So but I didn't get the severe stabbing, debilitating pains in my early 20s. That was my early 20s. And um, I would say about three or four years ago. um, You're how old? I'm 33. Okay. Yeah, three. No, not God. Yeah, I guess it would be three or four years ago. Uh, I got an infection that is is pretty elusive. It's called C. diff, and it wreaks havoc. How do you spell uh, that? Well, it's short for it's Latin. The I wouldn't even begin to be able but, but to say. D i t h. Uh, it's C dash D i f f. Oh, C diff. Okay. C diff. Yeah. I, I just getting a little love to our transcribers. So. Oh, you sure? Yeah. yeah. Um, and uh, I was teaching full time, which you can imagine was interesting because I was also. Um, I had explosive diarrhea seven to ten times a day, and I was in five different classrooms Jesus teaching. Jesus Christ. Uh, expected to get to the class within time, you know, within three to five minutes, and also to have everything on the board and prepared. And um, there were no um, there were no teachers' restrooms many of the times. What? Yeah. So, uh, yeah, a lot of my students uh, bore witness to it, which just added insult to injury. And uh, it was an inner city school, so it got around pretty quickly. And kids would laugh at me. And I mean, what can you do? You know. Um, so that's what did that, that. What did that feel like? Um, that 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 part didn't bother me. Being teased doesn't really bother me. Just more. Um, I was really in a state then where I was just trying to keep one foot forward and teaching that it was really rough in a city school they they throw a lot at you um even though i was a fairly seasoned teacher when i got in being a new teacher there they throw a lot at you that they wouldn't throw at the older tenured teachers so i just was doing my best to be perfect and you can't be perfect as a teacher because you have 150 variables which are called students so it was more I I just focused on the job and um did it in, inflame your mm-hmm, condition because exa- it is nerve related right Yeah oh yeah it exacerbated it and so that's probably the real turning point when it got 
when it got pretty bad and I was waking up in hot sweats and um, I went to a gastroenterologist um, and she didn't really help me um, and I eventually um, through my on my husband's wonderful unwavering unconditional support was convinced you can't do this anymore because I was I also I consider myself an alcoholic so I was also numbing numbing the the pain and the stress as soon as I would get home after I'd done my work at school I would start to prepare for the next day but preparing for the next day meant you I immediately poured myself my vodka tonics um got on the keyboard and then did you know two or three hours of prep however many two or three big vodka tonics then we sat down watched jeopardy wine like lean cuisine pizza bed and i was doing this for a year two years and um and i can't imagine that kind of diet and the alcohol helped no and that's a big thing that i'm going through right now is that um very recently um i've been working very close with my psychiatrist and we've been trying to manage my alcohol intake and other other variables that will exacerbate the ibs and um well, some things took a turn, and um, um, more actively pursuing it, Kim. I guess you would say more, just in terms of reduction and lifestyle. And it's it's been a hard couple months. She has been extremely diligent, and she she has a great psychiatrist who is sends emails and requests that she reports all sorts of data, and just keeps a, a daily log on everything. And you know, what are the variables? What are the drugs you're taking? But she's she's off coffee. She's significantly reduced her alcohol. Um, I they, I'm have to cut back on sleep too, which is hard right. because because I can't take any painkillers because they'll tear apart my stomach. So sleep, I've always been a sleeper since I was a little girl, and sleep is my salvation. It's my you know salve from the pain. But he says it's not good for your mental health to sleep more than nine and a half hours. So I have to get myself up even if I'm in pain. But the pain usually doesn't set until late afternoon, early evening, as evidenced by last night's breakdown yeah what happened what happened last night and kim is kind of here for support are we more here for Mm -hmm. for sheila's story or do do we want to get into kim's story kim has a story that is that is well worth sharing and that i think your listeners would definitely benefit from well then let's let's put yours on hold just for a second and we'll get back to to what happened uh last night and uh kim tell us about about yourself and you are coming um sheila you're visiting from upstate new york and kim you live in uh new york city yep and uh alexandra lives here in in los angeles and you're visiting her here alex used to live in upstate that's where she and i met and then we grew up together we worked our first jobs together yeah, how long have you all known each other then? Kim and I have been best friends since second grade, and I've known Alex since she was seventeen. And you're thirty-one now, Alex. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, Kim, let's let's talk about you. Yeah. Okay. Um, so, I I grew up in upstate New York. Um, I, I kind of I need questions. I don't really know where to. <laughs> oh, okay. Uh, what What are the issues that you that you struggle with most? 
Um, let's see. I struggle with I struggle a lot with body image and with with my weight. I mean, probably like ninety percent of females, I can fluctuate a hundred pounds in my adult life, literally. Um, so a lot of eating stuff. Um, I also had a major depression. It was a six month episode that was pretty bad. Um, and that was that was a long time ago. That was when I studied abroad um, in like two thousand one. And I think since that happened, I've really. I've really, it's helped me realize that I need to be more open in communication and reach out to people. I'm a, the quintessential people pleaser. Um, I used to call her a, a magnet for social degenerates when we were growing up. And then I realized, <laughs> that. yeah. And then I realized that, oh, wow, this is really, this really is a problem because she, yeah. uh, just, I take on everyone. She stuff. takes on everyone. She is, she and my husband are the most selfless people I've ever met. She will, she will put herself last always but it's also i mean that you know i've talked i've been in therapy about this too and that in itself is an addiction why do you feel the need that you need to help and that you need to save and what are you getting from it right yeah um and and it, i think there's a difference too between being selfless and doing something because you're afraid you're a bad person if you don't do it mm-hmm. or you need to lose yourself and those other people so that you don't think about yourself you know i think there's yeah. there's good selfishness and there's bad selfishness or selflessness either e- either one and um yeah, that's that's that difficult fine line between what am I really giving? Am I giving from a place of abundance, or yeah. am I am I draining myself because I'm afraid to not yeah. do bend over backwards for this person? Yeah, mm-hmm. and the boundaries. I mean, I the clear need to set boundaries, and you know, me in, in relationships. I'm, there's mm-hmm. codependence. I mean, I think it was one of your listeners that said, "Tell me how you are, and I'll tell you how I am." I know that I thought, one. Oh, jeez, yeah, that <laughs> just nailed it. <laughs> yeah. What was uh, your home life like growing up? Was there alcoholism or addiction in your no, family? No, there's me- certainly mental illness. No, no substance abuse. Um, my my mother is bipolar. She had two major psychotic breakdowns. Um, my sister is now diagnosed with bipolar 2 um but really that just manifested itself in i mean we didn't know what it was she was I, I was telling them i mean she could she would be a perfect candidate for like teenage boot camp she was probably borderline personality disorder she my therapist says say that you know she was the ultimate bully to me she um, still is to a certain extent she is i mean she's she's a case of arrested development now she lives with my parents they wait on her hand and foot um and she's just so needy and, and so childish and infantile and can be manipulative. Difficulty um, with impulse control. Um, difficulty with impulse control. I think as it pertains to food. Um, I, w- I was thinking more in terms of how she expresses her, like, like she can't. Oh, yes. Yeah. She just explodes at people. She doesn't, she doesn't know how to censor herself. Yes, yes. Or sit on her feelings. A lot of rage, yep. And she just went through a million identity crises as, a, as growing up, you know. So she have an abandoning uh, childhood. Uh, a lot of people that live with the borderline personality uh, disorder or the characteristics of it, mm-hmm. um, I've read, have usually come from severe uh, abandonment issues, and that's really kind of at the <gasps> core. It's the opposite. It's the opposite. I mean, my my parents are pretty pretty giving, pretty loving. Um, all three of, and I have an older brother who's you know very in society's terms very stable, very normal, two kids, suburban life. Um, we're all quite different. No, I meant your mom. Oh, I'm sorry. Your mom's childhood. My mother's childhood of abandonment. No, um, she had. She comes from an Italian family. You know, her her father was kind of like a war, kind of a war hero. He got a Purple Heart. You know, 
know, but he's he's very much of the the generation, um, you know, children should be seen and not heard type. So that was so common for that generation. Yeah. It was yeah yeah. So I think he was withholding in his in his love. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and he's the same grandfather that used to call me Fatso when I was three. And I really? remember, <laughs> yeah, and I remember no one sticking up for me. And I used to go into a room and cry, but I did want to make sure that he didn't see me cry because I didn't want him to feel bad. <laughs> wow, I mean, you were a caretaker at three. Yeah, isn't that weird? And that's when I had first like had body issues. I was very aware of my body at like three and four. Wow. Yeah. So how's the food issue today? Uh, it's, it's, it's a struggle every day. I mean, right now I'm, I lost 50 pounds recently and I then put on 30 and then I lost another 10 now and it's never, so it's, it's a never seesaw. Ending. It's a yeah. seesaw. And I just want to paint a picture for the, the listener. It's so beautiful. Um, the three of them, while one is talking, the other one will reach over <laughs> and hold their hand. And, um, it's just, it's yeah. just so touching to, to, to see that kind of support among friends because I know there's a lot of people that don't have those kind of friends imagine. in their lives or, or support network and um, boy, it just makes it so much difficult. We have been through so many things together. So, so many. So much. Yeah. I wouldn't, I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for her, literally. Talk some more about that. She, my husband and my parents are the, are the reason I stick around. Is, is it that you know you can get through it with them or you don't want to kill yourself because you don't want to hurt them? It's the latter. Um, I and always nice when we get to the most tender moments that you can hear the carpet cleaners outside. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds like I red. Hope, I hope they start loudly telling knock-knock jokes. <laughs> um, um, I just kind of came to a realization during one of my recent bouts with depression that um, when I I was really... It was dark, really dark. I just said, I just said, I don't want to be. I just said, what is the point of being if it is to suffer? It's just, there's, there's no, it just seemed absolutely pointless. And I got to a point where I was just very rational about it. And, and it was very, it was very, I felt so bad for the people around me, but I didn't really feel as bad as, I should have. I was just resigned to the fact that it, this, there was some biological imperative that I, it's time for me to move on. Um, and I was in bed with my husband, and um, I was just talking about that, and he, he's, uh, he struggled with mental illness himself. And he's come out of it on the other end, incredibly strong. Um, and I just listened to him speak a little bit, and I realized I, I'm, I've made the decision. I'm not having children, but I made a decision to him to marry him, and that was a promise. And that's a promise I got to keep. I. I promised him for better or worse and sickness and health and 
if I don't, even if I don't want to be around, he wants me around, so I have to do it. pain's hard. It got worse with the pain. The physical pain? Yeah. But back to Kim. (laughs) (laughs) Um. So, yeah. Uh, She's... She's the... She's just the... One of the best things that ever happened to me. What what does it feel like to hear her say that stuff, Kim? I, I don't feel worthy of it. <laughs> I mean, it, it's it's nice, and I'm because well, you're not worthy, and she's a crybaby. <laughs> <laughs> let me let me just put it well, into perspective spade spade. here. Isn't yeah. there a song called "Crybaby" you could cue up right now? Yeah. <laughs> and I think or we're done here. I'm going to go drink with the carpet cleaners. <laughs> Had enough. Good levity. Um, so, but, but yeah, getting yeah. back to to you, you know you can't you can't see the 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 beauty and that you she can't see. Seen. I'm sorry to interrupt you, Paul. She yeah. can't see her own beauty. She she everyone loves Kim. She everyone loves Kim. If you don't like Kim, then you're a misanthrope. <laughs> and she can't. She doesn't see what the world sees. So it's natural that she wouldn't feel unworthy. And I'm speaking for you as I do too much. No. <laughs> it's so interesting. We're, we're best friends and we're so different, but we complement each other so well. Um, I'm so unassertive. I mean, I'm, I'm gregarious and I'm, and I'm loud and, you know, all those things. And Hysterical. My, and my job, very funny. Now, my job warrants me to be a certain way. And, um, but, and, and Sheila's just so assertive and she can articulate her emotions so well and even her relationship with her parents. There's so much that I envy and that I think is just so beautiful and that I, that I wish for myself and I see in her. It's, I mean, it's, it's beautiful. It's kind of um, like you guys are yin and yang. Yeah. Like the other one has the... Even in temperature, I'm always, they call me a furnace. I'm so hot. I'm constantly pit stains and sweaty. And, and she's always freezing to the marrow, you know? Um, yeah. Physically, I mean, so she's it's good waif-like. To s- I'm not, you know, just everything is so opposite, but it works so well together. And we've grown up together. I mean, our, our humor has, it's, you know, developed. We speak our own language. Absolutely. Talk about the struggle with setting boundaries that you have. Give, give me an example of, of a situation where you knew you should be standing up for yourself. Do you want and, me to take out the laundry list? And, I mean, you, so and, you, and you couldn't. Walk me through. So we could do the house guest from hell. We could do all do you, my relationships. Um, what about, I think one good moment is the you, you being literally worried about the time when you were with Jason to run errands. Oh, and also yeah. about having to lie when you visited me. Yep. So I was in a relationship that was pretty damaging, um, emotional, definitely emotionally abusive. I didn't see it that way at, at the time. 
not physically, but I was with someone. I always, I always say he would be a great cult leader. You know, mm-hmm. he was he was good looking. He was funny. He was spoke a bunch of languages. He was gregarious. We quickly moved in together, and he isolated me. I have to travel a lot for my work, and he would make it very clear that when I traveled, I was not to extend those trips and see friends, which I like to do. It's like well, we're on the company dollar. Let's see what we know in the area. Um, and I would end up lying to him about my schedule, about when I was with friends. He would time me when I would leave. And one time I was just trying to run errands and I was just crying in the middle of Marshalls because I didn't have enough time to get back. I think it was TJ Maxx. <laughs> Sorry. Yes, you're right. AJ Wright. Um, and then on the, it was in the middle of a blizzard. Um, I had to go out to get episodes of Curb Your Enthusiasm for him because it, I, it was the only thing I knew that would calm him. I'm like, I, I, it's going to be a much more peaceful night if he can just relax with Curb. And we ran out of episodes, and I drove through a blizzard to, like, rent them. Um, and what was the, the – describe the feeling in your body. While all that was happening? Middle, while all of this stuff is happening. Oh, it's just um, – it's just anxiety. It's like, it's like actual heat and burning. Um, like in your chest? In my chest, yeah. It's very, it's very visceral. Um, and he would just yell and yell at me, like just scream at me at night, call me horrible things. Would you, when you would be out running these errands, looking at your watch, would you, you what would be the things you would be anticipating when you would get home? He, his anger. I mean, I grew up in a house, no one yelled, and that's not healthy either. No one but, talked about their feelings, but no one yelled. And his yelling is just scary, and you just think at any point this is going to escalate. And, the, and he has such a sharp tongue, and I just didn't want to be verbally attacked and basically assaulted. And so what was the fear of saying, this isn't working? What would what would pop in your head when one voice would say, this is abusive, you should leave? I mean, yeah. I'm assuming there was a voice oh, in your absolutely. head. Oh, yeah. absolutely, yeah. And we'd had, you know, f- different sort of false breakups and this and that. And then one day it was just too much. And I, I said, that's it, we're done. Um, and did you leave? Well, it was in my overpriced apartment, and he had financial issues, and I had a stable job, and he was actually on the lease, so we lived together for two months while he was seeing other people and sleeping on, like, an air mattress. It was great. <laughs> and, Sheila, what were you saying to, to her during this time? Get that fucker out of your house. Get him out now. And what what would she say to you? But Uh, he doesn't have a place to go to. He's on the lease. No, it's all right. I can manage. It's not. We don't even have to interact that much anymore. And get him out. He doesn't. He's not paying. He is not paying you. Get him out. You can just sue him. Get him out. He's going. He is. He's a bomb waiting to explode. I don't feel safe with him in your house. Kim, was there a, a part of you that was afraid of being alone? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I still, and then after that, I still basically stalked him. I mean, I went, I wow. didn't, yeah, I mean, I, oh, full blown. Yeah, definitely afraid to be alone. I've jumped in and out of relationships since I was probably 12, would you say? Yeah. 12? You've, you've never really, how long have you been? I had a nine month stint alone that I'm very proud of. <laughs> 19 tickety two. Yeah. Um, what was that like? It was really hard, man. It was really hard. And I was alone in New York City, living by myself, and I didn't have this relationship as a crutch. And um, I had put on a lot of weight in the relationship, and he was a chef, and there was all sorts of... That's a whole nother... You could do a podcast per relationship. But um, 
uh, I had to for it was really scary and I had to force myself to just you know I, I started I, I was in therapy and then I did OA and I just it's like just putting one foot in front of the other but I would just and I was I remember being so jealous and miserable like looking at other couples I hated the thoughts I had because I'm like you know you guys are just settling but you get all the benefits of the companionship and this and that but you know you're not right for each other and you shouldn't be together and that was a lot of even in my friends you know present company excluded I would see these relationships that were just shams and I'm like, I get out of mine. I may get into bad ones, but at least I know how to get out. <laughs> and I didn't think it was fair that they, you know. Describe the the physical and mental, uh, if agony isn't too strong of a word, the discomfort of not being in a relationship. What would it, what would you think and feel, aside from the moments when you are on your soapbox about other people's <laughs> relationships? Yeah, I I would feel... I just didn't feel validated. I didn't feel worthy. I would use, I mean, as, as awful as these men were, they certainly would build me up as much as they would tear me down. And I really needed to hear That's that. That's how they get away with it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I really needed to hear all those things. And there's something different when it comes from friends versus your, your partner, your lover. It just feels different. What feels different? Um it's more, for some reason, it's more important to me. It shouldn't be, the, but... The praise, you the mean praise, the building up. The praise, yeah. 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 Yep. Um, yeah. Let's... let's. I think... I, I, I think that the reason why, or at least a portion of the reason why the she invests more stock in the praise from a partner is because of your body issues. Mm -hmm. And... You, I, I, when you said the word validated, I was just thinking the word validated. Um, you feel validated, and you feel safe, mm -hmm. and you feel comfortable, and and you you feel better about yourself because you you know that someone is. I mean, when Kim's in these relationships, these people are are terrible, but they they worship the ground she walks on, as they should. But the other, it comes with the flip side. Um, and I just, I think that that was what was hard probably for you to be alone for nine months because you weren't getting the validation that you're physically beautiful. Mm -hmm. Give us a sample of the mean talk in your head about yourself physically. I, you know, I'm assuming yeah, oh, yeah. there is. Yeah, no, there absolutely is. I'm extremely self-critical. And it goes back, I mean, it really, I, I still in my head feel like a child. I mean, I'm the five-year-old looking in the mirror every year at my dance recital, crying uncontrollably that my thighs are fat. And I remember, I have all these memories of, of crying about how fat I look in my costume, running to the doctor at five years old, saying, doctor, I'm fat, I'm fat. Um and just being a really obsessed with it from a young age. And unfortunately, I do not remember any words of comfort or anyone being my advocate. Um, because you didn't have any advocates. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I think I think in my head it's, you know, and then you go on to adolescence, which is just pure hell as a, a teenage girl. Um, and I just, um, yeah, the self-talk is, is is just very negative. It focuses on body parts, and it's just the idea that, I mean, this is just a rat race. It's like I'm never going to get, I can get control of all these other things in my life. I can have a successful, high-paying job. I can do this and that, but I can't manage the weight and the eating. Um, and that's, you know, in, in my head, that, that feels like a failure because it's also then it's, this is what you're putting out to the world. This is your, when shit gets bad, people know it physically when they see you. And then, you so know. Why I always feel for people that, that have um, 
eating disorders or eating issues is because, it, you know, I say if, if I were an alcoholic and I had to carry all my empties around <laughs> with me, yeah. you know, it, yeah. it, thank God I, I never had to do that. I could I could hide yeah. my lack of control mm-hmm. from right. from other people. Right. Um, what what do you when you abuse food describe for me the feeling before mm-hmm. you abuse food while you're abusing food and after you abuse food i think before it's um it's it's very anxious um general or about specific things it could be either it could be either it could be general like even like the minute that i'm alone i i've been i'm much better about this now but before it'd be like the minute i'm alone i would equate loneliness uh being alone with loneliness and it's sort of that restlessness and that just some sort of a pit that needs to be filled um and there'd be there'd be anxiety around it and then should i shouldn't i and i think it was one of your listeners that said i i, I call for delivery and then i hang up and then i call back <laughs> i mean i to- i really do that i've had to delete the seamless app and then fuck i put it back on and you know it's it's crazy making um i think every addict listening right now is shaking their head going oh yeah oh yeah yep and then and then there's even you can't even enjoy yourself you know i like to okay we're going to really set up the moment so when the food comes i've got the perfect show going you know the perfect episode of whatever so i can really but you can never get into it because you're you're so focused on the food and that feeling and it's complete i mean not only is it delicious but it's there is something that's filling inside you it's very gratifying and soothing and I imagine it probably releases a shitload of uh, dopamine if that's if that's your. They've done studies that say yeah. it's it's not that unlike a coke addict when they really study brain chemistry, you know, and I believe that. Um, yeah, there are there are people. Um, my wife was describing somebody she knows who who um, abuses food, and she said after this person um, binged on all this junk food. Um, their eyes were glazed over like they were high. Their pupils were huge. Wow. And they just had this smile like they had just orgasmed. <laughs> were they eating in bed or no? No. <laughs> no. no. Separate activities. Yeah, separate activities. But um, And then the guilt and shame afterward is just the self-loathing and then the physical evidence and the remnants of everything and just that feeling of, God, I really have no self-control. And I, I remember this moment of... Uh, the last six months actually before I quit drinking and I would be having that sixth and seventh uh, pint of beer my one of my favorites was Guinness or a Boddington's had this can that uh, I think it had like a, a little bit of nitrous or something in it yep. so the foam was really the yellow good can yeah. yeah and I remember trying to hide my empties so when I would finish one I would go to the sink and I would crunch it as quietly as possible so my wife wouldn't wouldn't hear even though she never gave me a, a hard time about my drinking only once she said to me i think i'm only going to say this once, once but i think you have a drinking problem mm. um but i didn't want it to be an issue i didn't want her to notice so i would crush these cans and i would you know fill the little recycling thing with them and yep. and and hide them and then i remember i had this moment in and I'd never even thought about how sick that was until then I got sober and I was then I was abusing caffeine and uh, and I was drinking those Starbucks shots. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Those oh. little cans. And I went to go crush one in front of the sink and I was like, oh, my God, oh my the, God. I'm not doing that with alcohol anymore. Yeah. You know, I've yeah, I'm, I'm I wasn't trying to hide it. Yeah. You know what I mean? And it felt it's weird when we have those moments where we can kind of look back and go, oh, I guess I have 
progressed a little bit in the right direction yeah and and you feel kind of sad for your person that you that you were six months ago or a year ago and it's like you want to get into a time machine and go hug them and and say (laughs) yep it it doesn't have to be like this yep yeah yeah i was saying to kim just move a little closer to the mic if you would i was saying to kim i don't know if it was today or yesterday um well, I think I had mentioned this, how I'm on a alcohol reduction plan. I'm not ready to give up. Um, it just, I can't. I'm is, not, it's is not, the plan to eventually give it up? No, I can't say that because if I say that, then I can't keep making progress. I just, I can't say that yet. I can't commit to that. Um, but I'm working hard to reduce. I've, well back from my teaching days i probably cut it down i don't know what mind you she's drinking less than the average american i mean it's well it but it yeah well some people i don't know that's you've 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 cut your alcohol a lot i mean i don't know if you're comfortable saying what it yeah well yes um so my doctor had me i mean i i wouldn't count it before and so um my psychiatrist Initially, we were talking about reducing it, and um, so it would be two, just two glasses of wine during the week and up to five on the weekends, which was a reduction for me. Five total over the no, weekend? No, 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 no. Five per night. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, because, you know, I, before in my teaching days, it was double digits, you know. Um, <clears throat> and as I've been progressing... And, and and I have to I measure I have to mm-hmm. measure um, I use a measuring glass and then I pour it then I pour it into a mason jar so it looks a little more aesthetically pleasing and less <laughs> like I'm a cl- yeah less clinical. You don't want to use a beaker. No, I didn't want to use a beaker. No, mm-hmm. I didn't. I, I had I kicked around the idea a bit, but um, I you know I was beakered out from Breaking Bad. Um, so I was just talking to Kim about how now that I'm even more fastidious with reducing it, how I would just months ago not count my drinks in my area. There's a, there's several liquor stores where they do free wine tastings and I love free wine tastings because it's just a wine tasting. Sure. It's classy. It's classy and I'm chatting and it's just (laughs) lovely. And so, Oh yeah. Oh, uh, wait a minute. Now I didn't get the complete flavor of that one. Can I have a little bit more? Okay. Oh yes. That's great. Yeah. Uh, Maybe I'll get a bottle of that and then go back and buy my boxed wine. Um, and so I would be hitting up. I realized I would, I actually had a trajectory, from my last tutoring session when I was done working, go to that one, then you can go to that one, and then the, just move the mic a little bit, then by the time you maybe have a little bit of a buzz, you'll be very close to home, and there's a third one. And those didn't count as, but who knows, right. And I don't, and because of my IBS, there's not a lot in there to absorb it. But I totally convinced myself, those don't count. Those don't count. And then when I go out, oh, I need to try what that, and I do, I am a wine snob, but I need to try what that tastes like, and those tastes don't count. Sometimes they're very generous tastings. Yeah. And I'm just now, (laughs) I don't know how long it's been, remembering what it's like to wake up without a hangover. 
And I hate to even say that out loud because I don't know if I can continue with this progress. I don't know if I'm going to backslide. I don't know if I will be back to waking up with hangovers. But I know I like not waking up with one. You know, my thought is if you are an alcoholic, um, there is no there is no control without without help without the support groups. Um, that's another that's another uh, thing that I for, wanted to touch upon. Yeah, that's the only thing that that has worked for me because my brain did that exact same thing. It would come up with the reason why tonight was the last re- night I was going to drink and tomorrow I was going to quit. And I actually believe that until about a year and a half of those nights mm. piled up every single night. And I woke up in the morning and once again, my first three thoughts were you slept too late, you're a lazy piece of shit, your life is passing, passing you by. by. The only thing I had to look forward to was getting loaded, and I knew that was the thing that was driving me closer to suicide, and I just mm. said out loud, God help me, I can't do this anymore. And mm. that that was the day I decided to get help. And um, that's that's what had to happen for me, and I can just tell you that a lot of people I know that struggle, struggle with drugs and alcohol, um, they we have gone through the exact same thing that you're going through. But I think we have to go through that. I think we have to go through that, um, those periods of trying to do controlled drinking and failing. Um, so I have been or had been seeking support groups for two, three years, and I was amazed at how difficult it was to find a support group that for people with mental illness. I didn't want to go to AA. I'm not ready to go to AA um, because I'm not ready to commit to a life that's pursuing abstinence. I, when I do something, I do it, and I know that it's I can't do it yet. I, so I'm not doing it. I'm doing what I can do. So I, but I know the value of support groups. And I put so much time and energy trying to find a support group for someone with mental illness because I've suffered with it since I was a child. And there was nothing. I had flow charts that I had written down of people who would give me numbers. You call this person. Oh, no, 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 no. Call this person. I've been through NAMI. I've been through just I've been through the ringer um, NAMI is a National Alliance of Mental Illness and their website is uh, NAMI.org and they have support group meetings for not only people with mental illness but also support groups for people who have loved ones uh, that, that have mental illness and that is exactly what I was finding a plethora of is support groups for family members of people with addiction or mental illness issues but not support groups for the actual individual dealing with the affliction so I started, I got very frustrated and I stopped and I put it on hiatus and I started up again. And this was about a month ago. And this is because this is what precipitated that. Yep. Um, and I found one and it was dual recovery. And it said, this is for people with, uh, who struggle with mental illness and also addiction issues. So I called and I spoke to the woman who was going to ostensibly be the facilitator. And I said, my only my only reservation is that I'm um, 
I'm not abstaining currently. I'm not sober. She said, it's just a desire to want to get healthier. I said, well, I absolutely have that. So I was like, I just killed two birds with one stone. This is great. I, I was like, I finally hit the jackpot. So I go to the meeting um, and to make a long story short, I go up to the security guard. I say, could you tell me where the dual recovery meeting is? And he's like, oh, I don't, uh, uh, I'm not really, if it's anywhere, it's going to be down there, but I'm not sure if anyone's even here yet or what. I said, okay, so there. And so I walked into this dusty, mildewy room that had a long, like, boardroom table. And I was just sitting there by myself. And this woman comes in who has multiple oversized layers on, um, like a um, a Huxtable sweat sweater, you know, from the Cosby show. Mm-hmm. Um, and a... Was she dancing? <laughs> no, because she had um, she had physical ailments. Um, but she probably... The other, the second woman may, may have danced at one mm-hmm. point. Um, and she had on multiple hats. And uh, she said, oh, hi, how are you? And I said, hi, how are you? And she introduced herself. I said, I'm Sheila. And she said, okay, so um, are you going to be facilitating? Or I said, I'm sorry? And she said, oh, I I said, "Um, no, I was waiting for, I don't even say her name's Liz, I forgot. She goes, oh, no, see, uh, Liz called me. She's not coming because of the snow. So the facilitator for this meeting wasn't attending. So this woman proceeds to take out a dingy binder and just start reading through this binder. And it's just she and I. And then this other woman comes in and she kind of storms in and she looks at me and she goes, who are you? I said, hello, I'm Sheila. She goes, no, but who are you? I said, uh, I'm Sheila. She goes, are you are you here to facilitate this or what? I said, no, uh, I'm a, a participant. This is my first time here. She's okay. It's very nice to meet you. And then she quickly went to the back of the room, at which point she proceeded to ruffle maniacally through m- myriad bags. And then the woman across from me said to her, she said, um, I'm sorry, your perfume is just a little strong. I just have a sensitive nose. And she took out a um, medical mask. So the one woman took out a medical mask. And then the other woman goes, oh, well, I have I have a mask too. It's a mask to criticism. And then she takes out oh a surgical mask. Oh, my God. I and, would have been long gone by that and point. And I'm sitting there and they're... And the whole thing's taking place with these two women speaking through doctor's surgical masks. Oh, my. I'm so sorry that that was your first experience with the and with the support group. I didn't know whether to laugh or cry. So when I went to pick up my husband, I was just like, this is, this is just great fodder for my writing. But what ended up happening was that I totally broke down because I realized that, yes, as an isolated episode that has comic value... But I just put all my eggs, and I've been trying so hard to get a support group, and this is the shit show it pans out to be. I am fucked. It's it's like the way your body treats you. You yeah. know what I mean? It's like, oh, another disappointment. Another disappointment. I try another. I went to the doctor again, and here I am two days later in pain, wanting to die. Yeah, and that's another thing is that I've been to, I've had more scopes up my ass and down my throat than I can count, more vials of blood drawn, CAT scans. I went out to the Mayo Clinic, where which is supposed to be the epitome 
of uh, GI health, and uh, I have been left with a doctor who, during a colonoscopy, um, she obviously didn't read the my medical background, which she required to take me, which would have let her know that my system is not benzo naive. I, I take diazepam, which is Valium. Um, so Versid would not work on me. She didn't read that. She just gave me Versid. She didn't give me propofol. So I think I'm getting propofol and she gives me a colonoscopy and I can feel the whole goddamn thing. Mm. And I cry out in pain and she goes, be quiet. Wow. And then the Mayo Clinic at the end of it, they basically said, you have to be your own doctor. And that's why I'm just at a loss. I'm I'm so sorry that you're you're having to go through all this stuff. It sounds so frustrating. Kim, what do you what do you uh, I'll just add say? that throughout all this, I mean she's so strong. She doesn't think she's strong. I, I was saying most people can't even tolerate a headache, right? And she she goes through this, I mean, like a champ. Alex didn't even know how bad it was because Sheila can put on such a good face and she still continues to do things. I mean, it's not just the physical, it's the mental. She's been depressed since I think you were maybe 10 or 11. Yeah. I mean, really, yeah. my first memory of Sheila is that in the swing set in our elementary school playground, she was the girl that cried on the swing set every day. Of course you were drawn to her. <laughs> right? <laughs> That's for me. If you could no. if you could speak to your body, Sheila, what would you what would you say to it? What do you need from me? Tell me what you need. I can't read your mind. I will give it to you. I will do anything. Just tell me. And then I give it a hand job. <laughs> <laughs> Without loop. <laughs> Kim, and what scene. would you what would you what would you say? To Sheila's body? No, to you. Oh. <laughs> body um what would i say to me yeah um to my body yeah um i think i think the healthy and productive part of me would say you don't have it as bad as you think you do and people aren't looking at you the way you think they are and you're healthy and strong and you bench 90 pounds that's awesome <laughs> That is awesome. <laughs> she has gotten so strong. She's gotten so I, strong. You know, it's easy to forget the progress, but there's a lot of progress that I've made. So, you know, I think just being kinder to yourself and self-acceptance is so big. Self-care and self-acceptance oh, are just... Huge. You got to work on them every... And it's work. It is work. It is work. And it's like, you know, I heard somebody describe one time... Um, was on this podcast they said reaching out for help when you're depressed is like thinking while you're vomiting oh i'm gonna make a phone call right it is just it's the last thing you want to do mm, and that's yeah. what self-care and self-compassion are like when you're in the midst of beating yourself up and thinking you're a piece of shit and your life is just going to go downhill from here and why not end it now and yep cut the spiral off before it has a chance to 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 feel worse but that's not the it's not 
the truth. And I mean, Sheila is capable of such joy and such laughter. I mean, she's the funniest person I know. And as sad as she can get, she can also get so high and so... Um, you know, just uh, you just appreciate life so much. So to see her in this condition and then know what it's doing to her mind. I mean, I think it was you know a few weeks ago she had called me and said, "I'm I'm done. I'm done." And I just, I mean, you do really don't. I didn't know how to react, and I I was trying to do tough love, and I said, "This is not an option." And then of course my phone. I mean, my phone is cutting out, and I'm in some like cafe in Brooklyn, and people are looking at me, and um. You know, I just, I mean, I feel as helpless as she does because you want to be able to say it's going to get better. You know, you just need to, I think I was quoting Wilson Phillips, hold on for one more day. I mean. <laughs> oh, that'll, that'll hasten things, if anything. <laughs> that really expedited the depression. And I actually did say, we are going to turn this ship around like the Titanic. <laughs> and I called her on it. I was just like, the Titanic fucking sank. Like, fuck. <laughs> I don't have any other metaphors. Um. Yeah, but it just, and then just last night, I mean. Oh, God. What happened last night? You. <laughs> After a, a harrowing day of travel, you know, we finally get here and dealing with, you know, her issues on the plane and just a six-hour flight and everyone's lack of humanity, trying to make her comfortable. She'd already just shat all over herself when she was trying to go running at my house. Um, and, you know, we get here and we, we just want to meet. Alex, Alexandra, and have her pick us up. And I mean, long story short, just getting, you know, run through the ringer by the the cabbie who took us like $50 out of our way, dropped us off in Venice Beach. We both just needed a drink. Um, And, you know, Sheila needs a certain strain of, you're comfortable. Yeah, yeah, of course. A certain strain of of pot. I mean, indica is more body. It's all body. And that's what she needs. It's one of the few things that provides at least some relief. And uh, we got our hands on some California bud that was a little heady, so probably not yeah. what was best. Um, and I was start, and I was in, I was starting to get the stomach pain. Yep, she's starting, to get, yeah, starting to get stomach pain. And I think, I think what made it worse was, frankly, being stoned yeah. and being more heightened of your body. And you could just, she was in so much physical pain. We were stuck in traffic. We were trying to get home. Um, and she just went into a really, a really dark place. Um, when it hurts that bad, <clears throat> and where do you feel? Where do you feel it in your in it, your gut? Yeah, um, it's it's just like right under my ribs, and it goes just like that. And not she's d- describing a circular motion. Yeah, just right my digestive tract and. It's like a party trick I can do. I can go in the other room and massage my stomach, and it sounds like a slushy... It's unbelievable. It's unbelievable the noises my stomach makes. Wow. Um, Have you ever tried acupuncture? I have tried it, and, um, you know, I tried it once, and it didn't do anything for me. I I just... One of the things is, like, I'm just... After having been to the Mayo Clinic and having tried every every piece of advice I've been given I'm, fati- I'm fatigued I'm fatigued from the advice you know you're, you I get fatigued from trying I just I try I try because I I've worked on this I'm less I am assertive still and you know I'm 100% Irish I'm I get it from my mom she's a fighter she's a survivor and um full of piss and vinegar but that's not healthy for my stress and so i'm trying i try to calm myself down and not be so 
defensive and offensive. Um, I don't know. I think I, I just lost where I was going with that, yeah. but. But acupuncture is something that you need to do more than yeah. once. You have to do yeah. repeatedly, and I'm just I'm just fatigued from the whole. I bet. So I'm just trying to just try to be calm during the day as much as I can, not get rattled, and try. I'm also a perfectionist. Um, try to let that go and per, and contextualize things and put things in perspective. Um, but it's you know so much easier said than done, and the meds you know we're always. My doctor's tweaking my meds, and and then it's just I've been on meds and for so long, and it's just it's hard to hit the right one. What does it What does it feel like when people give you advice? Like I want to tell them to go fuck off because they have no idea. <laughs> yeah, it's actually one of my um, fears. Yeah, it's. And, and and I hate it because it comes from the best place, but they think they know because it because IBS is something that you it's not one thing it's a host of symptoms that fall under this umbrella and it's basically ruling out that you have Crohn's or irritable bowel disease or colon cancer or ulcerative colitis. And so there is no there is no remedy there is no solution aside from like stress management. It's like oh good I'm a functional, hundred percent you know Irish Catholic great um, stress management's not exactly my forte. <laughs> it's like telling a, a, a Jewish mom cook in moderation. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right, right. Um, any seminal moments from childhood or adolescence that that you guys would like to to share that were transformative um uh traumatic um life affirming anything that you can think of before we go to loves and and fears or anything else that you want to share that we haven't touched on that you feel um one cool thing that i discovered about myself is that i'm bisexual and i discovered that um it when i was about 19 and um i'm i'm married to a man now and very happily and um but that was a seminal moment for me after i first kissed a girl and the excitement and the joy and i remember being in her parking lot <laughs> and slamming on the steering wheel and going oh my god oh my god what's just happened oh my god oh my god oh my god that was awesome oh god oh god was she still on the car with you no she had gone inside uh, okay yeah yeah she had gone inside and um yeah just the, the just um yeah the just and then discovering what it was like to be with women and and it's, it's can be just lovely and it was it wasn't you know when i wasn't in a when i wasn't in a relationship and f free to be with um, whomever I chose, whether that be a man or a woman. It was just nice to know what what it's like to be a, with a woman because it's a it's a different experience than it is being with a man, and it's um it's made I think my life and my past richer. Um, so that's one nice seminal moment. Does it feel safer being with a woman than with a man, or or uh that's safer is not the right word um 
more tender than being with a man? Not than with my husband. He sounds like a really great guy. Oh, he's uh, he's awesome. He's I've slept with him. <laughs> Are you kidding? Yes, I'm kidding. Okay. We have an ongoing joke. <laughs> he, <laughs> I think Kim has a secret crush on him. Um, he's, he's a beautiful person. He he's really a beautiful is. person. Yeah. yeah. So, um, being yeah, being with a woman prior to me being with my husband was more tender. Um, there was a kind of and also um, a s- sensualness to it that's that's been absent from being with a man um yeah so the physical component is is very different um that and i just you know i really enjoy that i'm glad that i've experienced that and that i and that i had just had the chance but i'm also glad that i whether it would be a man or a woman i found the perfect person for me and i always refuse to settle that was one thing my father told me since I was a little girl. The most important choice you'll make in your life is choosing your mate. Don't ever settle, Sheila. And I listened to him. Is there anything that you've said, you haven't said to your husband that you... would like to, to say? Oh, God, I, I say everything to him. <laughs> what could I say to my sweetheart? Read your wedding vows. Those were, yeah, awesome. I just thought of offhand yeah. if you because sometimes we forget in our day to day grind to. We're we're very um, communicative and affectionate, and I guess with as well as Kim, but because he's with me every day and he's my partner, that he save he saves. I'm not going to put it in the past tense. He saves me. And he's the light of my life. And he makes me feel worthy. Yeah. He makes me feel really special. Kim, any any seminal moments from from your life? I mean, I went right to my mother's breakdown in my head because yeah. it, it is kind of a defining thing. Um, you want to talk about that? Um, no, no. <laughs> you don't have to. Um, no, I think just, you know, being a child is just interesting. I mean, I, I, I think about it a lot and I tried to process it and work on it. And I think the frustrating thing in therapy is that I don't know what there is to work out. You know, it's, a, it's just a shitty thing to, to see a parent, you know, when you're eight years old completely completely losing it like having no touch with reality and then unfortunately having a family that's so closed off and not explaining that and there being no addressing of it you know it had to be terrifying it is yeah terrifying and then also is this how it's going to be forever um but you know and, and i've realized that you know my dad's human and my siblings are human and everyone reacts to things differently and he was protecting himself and you know, no one knows how to... What was she doing in her breakdown? She was screaming about saving the Jews. I mean, religion is so often a part of psychotic breaks when you're bipolar. At the time, they called it manic depressive. 
um, she was going to Bible study and reading the Bible, and um, something just literally a flip switched. Um, and just no control over bladder and, and just really like what you would call histrionic and thinking that she was going to die and, you know, them taking her away. And, um, yeah, and she was gone for a few weeks and then came back like a zombie. Mm. <laughs> um, yeah, and we still don't and we and we don't talk, and we don't talk about it. So, you know, what do you feel like when you are around her? Um, you wouldn't know it today. I mean, she's been medicated for, you know, 30 years. Um, you know, my mother, you know, she, I had issues with, you know, Sheila was, as I said, my advocate and my champion and Sheila would actually, um, stick up for me because my mother would always stick up for my sister. So I always felt like I had my dad's love, but never my mother's, you know? Um, and now it's kind of the opposite. My mother is just so doting on me and so worrisome and wants to be around me all the time. And um, Do you enjoy that or does it feel overwhelming? It can be overwhelming. Yeah, mm -hmm. it can certainly be overwhelming. I mean, I don't. The, the unfortunate thing is I would love to be closer to Sheila in proximity, but my family's right down the road. Um, and I just I'm not ready to, for a number of reasons, commit to that. Having my entire my whole family's there, you know, my brother and my sister and. You want to stay for them or for you? Stay. Yeah. For, near your family oh. for your sake or for their oh, sake? Oh, I don't, I don't want to be. I mean, that's why. I mean, I moved to New York City and they're upstate New York. I, I need to keep a healthy distance. Oh, I see. I, I thought mean, you were still, saying your family. No. Oh, they live right down the street from right, Sheila. Right. I thought you meant right down the street from no, yourself. No, sorry, no. I see. Yeah, so it's it's tough. And they, I, I'm the only sibling that really kind of got away. And um, Okay. But, yeah. Well, let's go. Uh, let's do some fears. Do you both have some, or just Sheila? Just Sheila. Okay, I'll I'll try to uh, to Miles trade some, Davis. and if you think of any, uh, mm -hmm. jump in. And uh, Alex, if you think of any, um, three part harmony. Yeah. <laughs> Sheila, you want to kick it off? Sure. Okay. My first fear is that my IBS will grow increasingly severe to the point that I'm housebound by the chronic pain and the diarrhea slash constipation. This, coupled with a lack of social interaction, off of which I thrive, will render me into a dark depression that will lead both my husband and I into a static, loveless marriage because I've become a bastion of misery who's incapable of joy or love. I need that to be more detailed and more from the heart. Okay. I'll try again. Why do you gloss over these? Why, uh, I just, I'm very flippant about these Why are you afraid to go deep? Number two. I know, because you're a crybaby. I know. Um... Yeah, if I think of any, I'll, uh, I'll interject some. Go ahead. Okay. That my mother and brother will die in the same year due to the same heart condition, which the former is addressing and which the latter is exacerbating through his history of severe alcoholism, his current copious consumption of unhealthy foods, coffee, cigarettes, and most, likely, most recently, his role as a father to a newborn. I am afraid that I will never be comfortable with games in my intramural hockey league that are quote unquote important and I will always have a rapid heartbeat and intense fear of letting my teammates down and a fear of when the buzzer sounds feeling defeat and will continue to hate that part of myself and feel like why can't you stop being that 10 year old boy 
that my husband will finally see the glaring disparity in the financial and emotional contribution we bring to our marriage, and overnight he will have an epiphany which will morph him from a kind, empathetic soul into a bitter, vengeful predator. In this latter state, he will summarily divorce me, and I will be left emotionally, spiritually, and financially broken. I'm afraid my toenails are going to be ugly. I'm, I'm just trying to think of one that's <laughs> more, shallow than, more shallow than the one I did before. After I said that one, I was like, Paul, why don't you shut up? Because that is... You tell yourself to shut up far too this... much. You I, I, you are awesome, dude. Oh, that's very sweet of you. But, you know, I have to, I have to let that out because it it's like it's like a burp inside of me. Mm-hmm. And I feel like it's it's... It's the lesser of two evils. Sure. Sitting on that would be like, um, feel false to me. And I know the, the listeners, because um, I get emails from them saying, stop beating yourself up. Why yeah. are you so hard on yourself? But I can't. I'm getting better. You are. I'm getting better at it. But it's... It's things it's that a, no one would recognize. I know, but it, it feels so real to me. And the critical voice in my head that tells me that I'm going to be abandoned by the choice that I just made, not by everybody, but by a portion of listeners, and that it's this these mistakes that I make are just going to eat away at the oh, listenership God. until there's mm. until there's nothing left, and then I haven't I've put all my eggs in this basket, and that there's there's not going to be anything left, and I'm going to be like, why didn't I think things through better? Why did I just, why was I so cavalier? Well, you know what? I think you just redeemed yourself. That's one fucking fear. (laughs) That's true. (laughs) Forgot the toenails. That's true. I never thought about that. Go ahead. Okay. Um, A little levity with this one. That my sense of smell will become increasingly acute to the point that I detect every whiff of body odor, bad breath, garbage, etc. In order to function, I'll have to wear Vicks Vapor Rub under my nose 24-7 so that I don't dry heave daily. This will then prevent me from ever being able to relish in my favorite smells like the beach, freshly washed linens, my husband's skin, the head of an infant, or my own flatulence. <laughs> And you're lying if you don't like the smell of your own farts. You're a goddamn liar. (laughs) Is is that it for your fears, or do you have any more? Oh, I have more, but... Okay. Let's do two more, and then let's go to loves. All right. Let's see. Okay. This, This one has a little levity to it as well. That I will continue to lose the hair on my head in inverse proportion to the growth of black hairs around my nipples. Eventually, I will look like Tweety Bird due to my disproportionately large head, and from an aerial view, my nipples will look like pink spiders, each with a pencil eraser-shaped zit arising from the exact center of its back. Oh, that's fantastic. And women, you're lying I, if you say you don't have oh, hair yeah, on your nipples. Yeah, I'm yeah, sorry. You do. Yeah. You do. Yeah. Your wife's plucking them. Yeah, she must be. <laughs> I didn't, she, she's she not doing be. it in front of you, but she's blocking yeah. them. Let me ask you guys this. How do you not, how do you look at a man's hairy asshole and then ever look him in the eyes again? <laughs> Are we looking into men's yeah, hairy it's, Yeah, it's like. Um, but I, I mean, there's got to be a, uh, at a, a point when, yeah. you know, you're, you're. With a guy yeah, that you yeah. you catch a peak of it, and I know women have hair around their buttholes too, but it just seems like with with guys, it's just got to be so gnarly and funky. Gnarly and funky. <laughs> well, it, it makes me want to dance. <laughs> I just I think about that sometimes when I when I um 
I don't know. I, I like if I look at myself in the mirror, not at my butthole in the mirror, but <laughs> I look at myself in the mirror and you know, just look at hair in my body and think, um, I suppose it's why I'm straight because I just think, how does a, how does a woman look at a hairy body and yeah. and get turned on by that? One of the women that I dated for a period of time said she just simply couldn't be with a man because she liked the nice, smooth skin of a woman. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I'm not crazy. No, no. you're no. not crazy. We at are all. filthy. I mean, filthy you are beast. crazy, but not for that. Yeah, reason. Yeah, not for that reason. All right. Um, okay. Um, I can, I should end with this one. Okay. Uh, that Kim will never reach her goal weight and will always be chasing a number, and this will prevent her from seeing her stunning beauty that everyone else recognizes except for her. She already read me that one and I cried. You're Did not going to you? get it. There's, there's a lot here. Are these loves now? Let's do some loves. All right. Uh, let's, let's, let's do I'll start with one. All I right. love... Especially in the winter, when I appreciate how warm it is in California, making a bowl of cereal with berries on top of it, and going and sitting in the sun and watching my dogs sniff in the backyard as if all the smells are new, mm-hmm. even though they're they're there every day yeah. smelling mm-hmm. the same the same things. I just love that mm-hmm. feeling of of being present and being connected to the the universe through through the weather. Mm-hmm. All right, so then I'll go to my weather one. Being cold to the marrow from the perennial freezing temps that plague upstate New York and coming home, immediately taking a hot shower with Dr. Browner's 18-in-1 peppermint soap, then putting on my full-length fleece robe and jumping into bed under my multiple blankets that are perfectly ordered and textured, including the heated one that will always be closest to my skin, and commencing a night of binge-watching Breaking Bad or The L Word. Oh, that's the mm. best, being able to binge-watch. That's yeah. the greatest thing about the Internet, I think, is being yeah. able to to binge-watch uh, episodes when you, when you get into it. Um, I have a love. That feeling when you make an Epsom salt bath that is almost too hot, and you're, you're, you, you sink into it, and you're you almost feel like, oh, I'm going to have to get out this because this is too hot. But then that five second window passes mm-hmm. and your body adjusts to it. And you know that you have taken the absolute hottest bath you can without hurting yourself. I remember you mentioning Epsom salts before, and I've never tried that. Is it really good for aching? It's the best. It is the best. And I would imagine also for somebody that has IBS, I would imagine that you're flushing a lot of vitamins and minerals when your body evacuates. Mm -hmm. And Epsom salts is a really good way to inject those minerals uh, via your muscles back into your bloodstream. I actually feel like the day after I take an Epsom salt bath, I feel the effect of that magnesium, that calm. So Mm -hmm. it also helps with anxiety. Nice. Yeah. uh, Treat yourself to that, especially in the winter. It's, uh, It's great. And they say that you should do it for at least 20 minutes because the first 10 minutes you're sweating some of your toxins out and the next 10 minutes you're absorbing the minerals in um some people say even 40 minutes 20 minutes to sweat it out 20 minutes to and uh yeah as hot as hot as you can as you can take it but even just a warm epsom salt bath is still is still good for you and i'm going to piss you off by recommending something that's all right the body ecology diet that book changed my life i remember you mentioning that on a really early podcast yeah it's it, it changed my life. It changed my my gut. It allowed my gut to uh, to heal. I have no idea whether or not it would would help with IBS, but I would feel remiss if I didn't if I didn't mention it. I appreciate it. it. Yeah. 
you know, piss me off. Clock him. <laughs> oh, oh yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Let's see. Um, I might I might title this show all about assholes. <laughs> I don't think we went a ten minute stretch without talking about. At least it's ass- alliterative. Yeah, yeah, that's true. All yeah. about assholes. When my friends from college arrive at our friend's lake house, where we still meet annually, and recognize the scent I've been wearing since college, and say, "Where's Sheila?" Though none of my friends ever just ask simple questions. Rather, they use histrionic, idiotic exclamations or declarations like, "I smell Sheila handjob," or "Where's that dirty albino?" <laughs> or more recently, and my favorite, "I smell half of the high lifes." I can't really explain the last part because I'm trying to protect my anonymity. Um, I love. And I don't know if I've shared this on the podcast before, but um, my two dogs, one one's name is Ivy, and she looks like she looks like a supermodel. We call her the supermodel. She looks like a fox on stilts. She's beautiful, but she is she is like a, a diva actress. She is constantly looking at herself in the mirror. If you're not paying attention to her and you're watching TV, she will walk between you and the TV and strike a pose as if she's posing for a photographer. If we're petting uh, our little guy, uh, Herbert, she will come up and she will literally push him out of the way and put her her head in the way. She will eat out of his food dish. She will... She is... Scene stealer. She is an absolute scene stealer. And we always joke, and and he loves her, he worships her, and she is annoyed by him. And so my wife and I have created this whole backstory of them where she doesn't even really know his name. She thinks his name is Herman. And and so she's always suggesting ways that that we can put him in, in danger of dying. So she draws these cartoons for me in the morning she'll do a single panel like uh, the most recent one was um, Herm she drew both of them at the beach in, in Ivy in a bikini and Herbert in, Herbert in swim trunks and Ivy was saying uh, Herman uh, look at that shark they love surfers why don't you and he always falls for the things right. that she that she does yeah. like like she's like uh, the bungee gourd doesn't need to be tied Herman and he's like cool that has legs I, hey. I love, yeah and it just makes makes me, uh, when I get up in the morning, she's already left for work, and she's put this, you know, That's this single panel thing up. on the dry erase board, and it's such a great way to start my day, because it makes me laugh, and it reminds me that she's thinking of me, and... And it, it's about our two dogs, which yeah. is like our, our our favorite thing. So that's that's a love of mine. Awesome. I'll try. I'll find the one that kind of echoes that. Let's see. Um, the fact that my husband makes the best coffee I've ever had, even though I'm off coffee now, and that he always makes me a cup before he goes to work, even though he leaves at five thirty in the morning, and I have ample ample time to make myself a cup my, when I wake up. That's a great feeling when your partner thinks yeah. thinks about you i i never used to pick up food for my wife and never considered her this is before i got sober and then um after i got sober i would start thinking oh, well oh, maybe she's hungry right now maybe i should pick her up something to eat and i love the feeling of seeing her see me consider her mm. and how deeply it touched and continues to to touch her when I do yeah. get out of my bullshit for a second and think, well, maybe she'd like to have some soup when, when she comes home. I should surprise her with that. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's the best. Yeah. Sheila, Kim, Alex, 
Thank you guys uh, so much for for coming by and sharing your uh, your lives with us. I I really appreciate it. Thanks Thank for doing you. what you do, Paul. Many many thanks to uh, Kim and Sheila for. Uh, being so easy to talk to and being such great supporters of the show. And uh, no thanks to the uh, cleaning guys outside the, uh, the little office there that uh, almost completely destroyed the audio quality of the podcast. Um, that was that was a feat for me to get through editing, recording and editing that and uh, not wanting to scrap the whole thing because uh, I found it distracting and uh, I don't know why I didn't get up in the middle of the interview and say hey can you turn the fucking machine off you know why because I want everybody to like me that's why because I care because I care what people think of me that I will never see again but you know I wouldn't have been fair to the other people in the office that needed their carpet cleaned so maybe you did the right thing oh, who gives a shit shut up Let's get to some surveys. Oh, you know, before I do that, uh, and we got a stack of surveys, I'm going to be testing not only your endurance, but your patience. Um, I want to remind you there's a couple of different ways to support the podcast. If you feel so inclined, you can go to our website, metalpod.com, and you can uh, make a one-time PayPal donation or my favorite, become a monthly donor for as little as five bucks a month. It means a huge amount to uh, to me and to the show because uh, we don't make a lot of money doing this, and uh, it costs money to keep up the website and to rent the office space. And... Um, uh, you know, use the survey services and et cetera, et cetera. So um, every little bit helps, and it's super simple to do. You can also support us by shopping at Amazon through the search portal on our homepage. It's on the right-hand side about halfway down. And um, you can support us non-financially by going to iTunes, writing something nice about us, giving us a good rating, or spreading the word about the podcast through social media. That helps uh, greatly. So any of those. Or you can just tell me to fuck off. Feel free to do that. This is a shame and secret survey filled out by a woman who calls herself Nightingale. And she is bisexual. Um, she she qualifies uh, saying, I'm about 80-20 men to women. Uh, she's in her 20s, was raised in a totally chaotic environment. Um, ever been the victim of sexual abuse? Some stuff happened, but I don't know if it counts. Uh, she doesn't specify. She's been emotionally abused. Um any positive experiences with your abuser? She writes, yes, I had three abusive step-parents, one man who married my mom and two women that my dad dated. All three of these people were artistic, interesting, and fun in a lot of ways. They also conveniently forgot that I was the child in the situation and took their anger and issues out on me. Darkest thoughts. It's hard to think of things that I am too ashamed to tell anyone, so I guess that's good, question mark. This may not count, but I have had sexual dreams about my father. The dreams are always the same, in which we have been incestuous for years, and I am just now realizing it. I don't enjoy the act in the dreams, and it is as if I am numb. I've had these I've had three to eight of these dreams and always wake up feeling gross. The weird thing is that there has never been any inappropriateness between us. My father would never hurt me like that. Maybe those dreams are normal. My stepfather, on the other hand, was a pervert, so maybe that has something to do with the dreams. I don't know. Darkest Secrets my little sister and I have different moms. Her mom was incredibly emotionally abusive to me. We shared a room, and when she was about two to 
or three, she would be awake in her bed sometimes and I would talk very sweetly to her. I would tell her to come snuggle me and she would be very happy to do so since I did not show her much affection otherwise. She would come over to my bed and as soon as she lied down, I would then start telling her in a very mean voice to get out and then I never wanted her there in the first place. She would cry softly and go back to her bed. I feel so bad about this. No one knows it happened and I wonder if she even knows. The sad part is that in the couple of seconds I would actually let her snuggle me, I remember feeling love for her. I remember her baby smell and her soft onesie. I remember the love that I had for her that I could not let myself feel because her mother made it impossible for us to have a normal relationship. Even now we are not close, though there was honestly no other time when I was mean to her. She is one of the sweetest people I know. I hope that we can grow closer. I was so blinded by my own hurt and the abuse I endured that I did not put myself in her shoes. How sad she must have felt. The fact that I made a sweet little baby cry tears of sadness is really awful, even though I was a child myself at the time. Sexual fantasy is most powerful to you. I'm incredibly turned on uh, by the thought of my boyfriend having sex with a woman that exists somewhere between his and my physical ideal. He likes red hair and brunettes and prefers small breasts. I like large breasts. So in the fantasy of the woman is a buxom redhead, laugh out loud, it makes me feel strange because I'm incredibly jealous at times. Yet the thought of him with other women or even him as a younger man with past relationships really gets me going. This is not unique to him though. During my last relationship, I actually masturbated while fantasizing about a situation that my ex-boyfriend detailed to me, uh, something that happened when he was in his early 20s. He was 40 when we dated. I am much younger. What, if anything, would you like to say to someone you haven't been able to? I would like to tell my older half-sister that I fear she is becoming an evil step-parent. I know acutely the pain of being emotionally abused by step-parents, and I feel that she has lost sympathy for her boyfriend's daughters. This is disturbing and sad to me. What, if anything, do you wish for? I'm only 29, and I feel I have lost sight of my dreams. I want my self-esteem back. I want my sense of wonder back. Have you shared these things with others? Yes, I choose to only share them with people that I know are safe, so it went well. How do you feel after writing these things down? I feel all right. Um, that question about uh, what do you wish for um, made me sad. I just want to be happy. Thank you for sharing that. And I'm glad that you, even though you feel um, regret and pain about um, having been emotionally abusive to your to your uh, little sister, um, the fact that you recognize that you were a child who was being emotionally abused and um, didn't have the tools to know how to deal with your your feelings. So I hope you can forgive yourself. These are some um, happy moments that uh, people shared on this is Twitter or Facebook. Um, I think this is from Facebook. Um Jolene McKillop writes, I love having a Me Too moment listening to your podcast. Um, David Swick uh, writes, uh, I love when you read spam in a sincere manner on the podcast. Uh, Chris Urban writes, I love the first cold day in winter when I can put on a thick hoodie and hide just a little bit more from the world when I'm out in public. So much safety in such a simple thing. I get that. I totally get that. Maddie Taylor writes, I love discovering a new obscure metal band and upon showing it to my wife, watching her screw her face up and say, ah, what is this crap? 
This is from the What Has Helped You <clears throat> survey. Excuse me. This is filled out by a woman who calls herself What Even. And uh, her issues are depression, panic attacks, social phobia, unending intrusive thoughts, and suicide attempts. Uh, she also has physical illnesses um, and was diagnosed with autism spectrum disorder uh, as a child. And what helps her? Patience and compassion for myself mostly, and meds. They helped me get through my worst years. The times I loathed every moment and spent most of my time planning different ways to kill myself. You have to hit a certain level of wellness to begin to deal with your illness. My first therapist told me to stop coming because my anxiety was so horrible that I could barely speak. Uh, a CBT workbook and learning the tactical breathing technique were what got me to the point where I could see a therapist. Now the thing that helps me most is being in nature. The awe I feel in the presence of such magnificent beauty reassures me that life is worth fighting for. The depression is manageable now, and I honestly really love life. I find contentment in simple everyday moments by being present, accepting, non-judgmental, and not thinking of what I should be doing or where I wish I was, uh, when where I am is a perfectly okay place to be. I find my strange thoughts amusing instead of terrifying, because I trust myself to be a kind person who would never act on my thoughts. Also, I couldn't leave out how, found, how finding people I trust, going to a support group, and DBT have helped me from relapsing and just generally improved my life. Thank you for that. This is the Shame and Secret survey, and this is filled out by a guy who calls himself Propane. He's uh, bisexual. He's in his 20s. He was raised in a slightly dysfunctional uh, environment. He writes, due to my mother's career, I moved uh, to a different country every four years. Uh, ever been the victim of sexual abuse? Some stuff happened, but I don't know if it counts. When I was 10, uh, a cousin who was seven years older um, asked me to sit on his lap naked after a shower. He said he was going to help me get ready. I did, and he started rubbing and kissing on me. I've never really thought about it till recently when I saw the cousin at a funeral. The memories flooded in, and I compulsively think about it every day for the last six months and feel broken in utter shame. I highly, highly encourage you to go talk to somebody about that. Um, ever been physically or emotionally abused? Not sure. Um, uh, before I was 13, whenever I was late for the school bus, my father would yell at me and say I would amount to nothing but a water boy street merchant. Yeah, I'd say that's emotional abuse. Uh, after seeing how much it would upset me, he made it a recurring morning joke I didn't find funny. Uh, Don't be so sensitive, he'd say. Uh, after skipping school once, he beat me with a stick so hard I still get a twitch in my thigh and remember how much it swelled. My dad was in the army, so capital punishment, um, I think he means corporal punishment, was the norm. He punched my brother when he accidentally kicked the soccer ball in my face. Oh, that is priceless. Punch the brother for accidentally kicking the soccer ball. Oh my God. Needless to say, I have never been close to my father, although I've longed for a loving relationship. Uh, most of the time, I felt like distant relatives that lived together. Any positive experiences with the abusers? Occasional family events, birthdays, weddings, holidays. Uh, darkest thoughts, I imagine my dad dying, sometimes by my hand, and not giving a shit. I imagine my mother cheated, and maybe I'm not his darkest secrets. I've stolen money from relatives a lot to buy drugs and, and numb out, thinking about buying some now. 
Sexual fantasy is most powerful to you. Sleeping with an older man, similar to my father, just so I could feel fatherly love. Twisted, huh? Which makes me feel ashamed and pathetic, mentally fragmented. You know, I went through, uh, I went through that after, um, I confronted this stuff that, uh, that happened with my, my mom and, uh, went through probably a good two year period where I just had a recurring fantasy of, of, you know, wanting to, be with a motherly figure and it's just the brain's way of trying to cope with it and i have a feeling if you um if you begin to process uh, some of this stuff that's happened to you um even if the, the these thoughts or feelings don't go away you will be more comfortable with them uh what if anything do you would you like to say to someone you haven't been able to that i just want to die and start over perfectionist and narcissistic parent with extremely high expectation my grade never meant shit unless they were 90% and above um what if anything do you wish for to not be constantly self-conscious to be able to be happy without being high not to feel so anxious entering a room and telling myself every negative thought they may or may not be thinking about me doing my life's passion of writing and acting instead of working in finance, um, which I think I do because I feel guilty for stealing as a teen. Uh, have you shared these things with others? No, I don't think anyone would care and everyone would know how much of a sexual deviant, superficial bastard I truly am. How do you feel after writing these things down? Liberated and owned by my demons. Um, or, no, liberated and owned my demons. Um I think the first thing to deal with would be if if you can't um, control drinking and drugging, that would be a great place to start, would be going to, to get help for that. This is from the What Has Helped You survey. This is filled out by a woman who calls herself Bipolar 2, and uh, she writes, I have Bipolar 2 disorder. I've struggled with depression since I was a kid, social anxiety and PTSD from childhood trauma. Culture shock, growing up with religious extremism and suicidal families, being a witness to the suicide of a friend, being sexually, physically, and emotionally abused by friends, family, and a long-term boyfriend, as well as general existential dilemmas. Other than that, everything's great. Uh, what's helped you? Meditation, exclamation point. Friends and actually opening up to them. I see a counselor every two weeks and a psychiatrist every month. I've had a mental health assessment by doctors and having a diagnosis was helpful. I've never taken medication and aimed to avoid it. I found that taking cod liver oil and working very hard to heal my digestive system helped immensely. Having good sex and feeling beautiful helped. And it was very important for me to become physically strong. Now I feel much more self-sufficient and safe. Journaling, music, art, and dance have always been a part of my life. I've created a blog to be able to discuss these issues as well, and that may be the most important part, to find a way to tell my story. That's awesome. I mean, and what a testament. The fact that, that she feels good and strong and whole when you, after that laundry list of things that she experienced. Um... It's like the human spirit is so resilient if we decide we're going to let it be. This is Shame and Secret Survey filled out by Mimi. She is bisexual in her 30s, raised in a totally chaotic environment. 
was the victim of sexual abuse and never reported it. She writes, when I was in my 20s, I dated a guy from work. One night after we had several drinks and smoked out his roommate's bong, smoked out of his roommate's bong, I passed out in my boyfriend's bed. I was so intoxicated, he decided it was the perfect time to have anal sex with me. I felt so violated, but since we worked together, I didn't want to report it. I still fantasize about pushing him down a flight of stairs. She's been physically and emotionally abused. Uh, I feel like my mother is bipolar one. She hasn't been officially diagnosed, but she was completely unpredictable. I never knew what kind of mood she would be in when I came into the house. Beatings were a normal occurrence. I always screamed and begged her to stop. She never did. I hate the, the home I grew up in. I try to never go there. The hatred comes out full force when I step in the door. Anyway, I, quote, fell in love with a man who was much older than me, and I got pregnant at 17. Honestly, the pregnancy was unplanned, but I had to get away from my mother. I subconsciously got attached to someone who wanted to rescue me. Unfortunately, he was worse, but that's a whole different story. My mother is still so manipulative, and we barely speak. I've spent many hours working with my therapist to come to terms with the abuse. I went to therapy wanting to learn how to forgive her, but I can't. She doesn't think she did anything wrong. So now I'm coming to terms that I may not be able to forgive her. I was robbed of my childhood. I just can't let that go. And uh, I, yeah, just be patient with the process and be open to whatever is. I am, I am, you know, a big, a big believer that uh, forgiveness should never, ever be something that um, people are supposed to do. I think it's something that is a byproduct, if it's going to happen. Um, it should be a byproduct of something. Um, that made a bit, That might have been the most confusing, worthless three sentences that I've ever said. I think I was a little hard on myself. Um, any positive experiences with your abusers? Sure, when she was in a good mood, we laughed so much. She was always there for me when I needed her. It just always came with a price. You know, I would say that that's not being there then. Uh, what are your darkest thoughts? I'm very judgmental. My mind is constantly looking for negativity. I look great outside, but my mind is a mess. I'd say that probably describes 99% of us. Darkest secrets. I have a pretty serious cocaine addiction. My friends and I always use on the weekend. Sometimes during the week, if we don't have a lot going on at work the next day, um, oh, I guess sometimes during the week, if we don't have a lot going on at work the next day. I actually hate doing it, but when it's readily available, which it, it always is, I indulge. The first bump is terrible, but I think, oh, the next one will be better. Then it's not, so I go for another one. I hate the feeling of wanting it. I hate coming down from it. I hate being at work the next day and not being able to complete a sentence, constantly sniffing and sneezing. I feel like everyone knows, but no one does, at least not at work. My daughter knows. She's 20 and we are very close. I know she knows when I am high. I try to pretend, but she's way smarter than me. She's even seen my stash. I am so ashamed, but I have my dealer on my favorites list on my iPhone. I cannot stop. Sexual fantasy is most powerful to you. I wish there were a massage, a, quote, a rub and tug for women. I'd love to get a nice 90-minute massage with a happy ending from a guy, either with a vibrator or have sex. What, if anything, would you like to say to someone you haven't been able to? To my daughter, I know 
you know about my drug abuse. I'm sorry I didn't set a better example for you. I should have been a better mother. I was so self-centered, and I know I made her feel like she wasn't wanted. I hate myself for that. It's never too late to repair a relationship. Uh, What, if anything, do you wish for? To be 100% independent. To never have felt like I have to rely on someone to take care of me. I just got out of a bad relationship where someone told me that I would be nothing without him. Hopefully, I can prove him wrong. I hope that doesn't stand in the way of you getting help for your cocaine addiction, though. Um, asking, asking for help is not weak. It's a sign of strength. Have you shared these things with others? Yes, my therapist friends, I'm very vocal about my feelings. My therapist is a gift from the universe. She's gotten me through so much. Every time I step in her office, I feel so safe and loved. How do you feel after writing these things down? I'm okay. This is the week I was supposed to get married. But one day we looked at each other and asked ourselves, what are we doing? So we called off the wedding. Everything is so hard right now. I can barely focus on work. I just sit in my office and cry. I'm so tired of crying. I'm tired of the disappointment. I know in my gut that it was the right thing to do, but I am still so sad, disappointed, and angry. I feel like I got robbed. I'm not in a good place right now. Damaged by mother, angry with my ex, and scared of my own self-destruction. Is there anything you'd like to share with someone who shares your thoughts or experiences? And, And you know that last sentence? Those are all interrelated. Those are all interrelated. And as you begin to work on one, you know, the uh, damaged by my mother, angry with my ex, and scared of my own self-destruction, they feed. Those can feed on each other. Um, But once you begin to to heal and get some recovery, those other things, the stuff that isn't drug-related, wind up easing our relationships with people improve because we're not walking around angry filled with fear and reaching for blunt coping mechanisms uh anything you'd like to share with someone who shares your thoughts or experiences don't settle if there was someone in your life that you don't feel emotionally or physically safe with it's time to find the strength to seek help therapy helped me realize this person was not right for me in therapy i discovered myself and my strength you can too thank you for that mimi this is a happy moment filled out by our, our friend. She's, uh, she's done surveys before. Uh, Douche Nozzle. How do you forget that name? Um, her happy moment, she writes, When I was pregnant with my daughter, all symptoms of my bipolar disorder seemed to vanish. Life was filled with hope and happiness that I missed for a long time. Although, after having my daughter, my brain broke. All the semi-manageable symptoms I had before seemed to be too much for me to handle. After kissing my husband and baby girl, I decided I wanted to end it all. Seeing how how, uh, I am writing this, I didn't succeed. In a desperate attempt to help me, my husband sent my daughter and I to see my family, who uh, lived 1,500 miles away, with none of them the wiser as to what I had tried and how low I was feeling. While there, we went to a trampoline park for all the little kids. After countless attempts to get me to participate, my twin brother pulled me out of the trampoline and we spun around in circles. It seemed in that moment, as the world turned to a blur and all I could see was his face and the biggest smile, the cloud over my shoulders seemed to have lifted off me. We swung around and around with such force that when our hands unlocked, we'd fly and hit the walls of the trampoline. In that moment with him, it was like my brain forgot to betray me and let me enjoy the moment. That little glimpse of happiness again helped me want to get back on my medication so I can find joy in the journey. So beautiful. 
I went to Trampoline Park with some friends about uh, three years ago, and it was so much fun. This is a shame and secret survey filled out by a woman who calls herself a struggling college student. She is bisexual in her 20s, raised in a pretty dysfunctional environment. Um, Ever been the victim of sexual abuse? Some stuff happened, but I don't know if it counts. Starting from the end of sixth grade through the beginning of eighth, my brother, who is two years older than I am, and I experimented sexually. I don't know if that counts as abuse or not because he always instigated it and he was older and bigger than me and I always felt shameful about it and wanted it to stop, though often I would consent and then occasionally enjoy it. Eventually, my parents found out what was going on by reading my diary when we were on vacation the summer before my eighth grade year and sent both my brother and I to therapy. We never talked about it after that day, but the memory of it still makes me feel so shameful. Ever been emotionally abused? Not sure. Um, darkest thoughts. My deepest thoughts are all sexual in nature. I'm really disgusted by what turns me on. I imagine being made to be some somebody's submissive sex slave, humiliated in front of large groups of men, forced to gain weight, and then made to feel shame about my weight by being publicly and sexually humiliated about it. I don't know why these things turn me on the way they do, and it feels terrible, but I can't change my sexuality, it seems. I would never want this to actually happen because I'm sure it would be completely emotionally damaging. Darkest Secrets When I was in seventh grade, feeling intense shame about my body and my weight, but also experiencing this feeling of being turned on by the idea of humiliation of fat women, I made videos of myself jiggling my stomach fat and put them up on YouTube for the world to see. There was apparently a large audience of fat fetishists on YouTube. At the time, uh, I was at the high end of normal weight. The videos did not include my face, thank God, but I checked last year and they were still online. One of them had over 100,000 views and many disgusting comments that I recalled from when I uploaded the videos many years before. I couldn't remember my password to my YouTube account, so I reported the videos and thankfully they were removed. I have not told anyone about this because it makes me feel so, so shameful and bizarre and wrong, and I don't think I could bring myself to ever tell anyone about this. Sexual fantasy is most powerful to you. Being humiliated uh, for my weight by someone thin and in shape, having degrading things written all over my body, being forced to wear too tight clothes in public, a sexual partner commenting on how fat I am and jiggling me to show it to me, being a sex slave, being sold at a slave auction and fondled and touched by strange men that are fully clothed, being turned into a cow for use, being raped over and over again. What, if anything, would you like to say to someone you haven't been able to? I would like to ask my brother, what was going through his mind when he instigated incest with me. I want to ask him why he did that to me and how he feels about it now and if he feels the same shame that I do and if he feels just as fucked up and broken about what happened. He is now in recovery for drug addiction, living in a sober house. So I'd really want to ask him what happened, if what had what happened had anything to do with his addiction. What, if anything, do you wish for? I wish to be able to liberate myself from my demons, to be free from anxiety and shame and feel comfortable in my own body and skin. I wish my sexuality favored loving, consensual relationships, but I guess I have to learn to accept it for how dark that it is. Uh, I still get pleasure out of normal sexual relationships, just not as much as my fantasies. 
Um, have you shared these things with others? I tried talking to a therapist about some of my sexual fantasies last year. I immediately had an intense, terrible panic attack and have not spoken about them to anyone since. How do you feel after writing these things down? I feel good, but I want to know that someone is out there reading these things and might be able to offer some understanding or advice or support. I would like to hear someone's thoughts on these things. I want to feel less crazy and fucked up, and I can't bring myself to talk about them out loud. Well, I can tell you that you have nothing to be ashamed of. Not what happened to you uh, with your brother or what it is that turns you on. Um, everybody, everybody has um, some something from their past that they have anxiety or shame about and something that turns them on that embarrasses them. And you are, you are so not alone. You are so not alone. So sending you some love. And um, just keep, keep opening up to that, to that therapist. Let them guide you. This is a shame and secret survey. This was filled out by Nate. He is straight. He is in his 20s. He was raised in a stable and safe environment. Uh, he was the victim of sexual abuse and never reported it. Uh, about two years ago, I was in a fairly abusive relationship. My ex suffered from depression, social anxiety, and had been a victim of rape. In our relationship, she used sex as an indication of our love. Uh, and that's in parentheses. Uh, so if I didn't want to have sex, that meant I didn't love her. There were several instances where I had sex when I didn't really want to. As a guy, I thought, well, I should want to have sex, and if we just start fooling around, I'll get in the mood. Whenever this kind of situation did happen, I always felt bad afterward. Not depressed, not some kind of deep brooding sadness, more like buyer's remorse. I didn't want to have sex, but I did just to satisfy her. Uh, he's been emotionally abused. He writes again with the same ex-girlfriend. Toward the end of our relationship, I had concerns about her depression, which I think was my brain trying to tell me to end the relationship. One night, she offered to give me a blowjob, something she never wanted to do before. After a few minutes of this, she stopped and said she wanted to talk about us, our relationship. We laid in bed nude, holding hands, and I finally admitted to her that her depression concerned me, that I didn't think she was getting the proper kind of help, and, as she put it, that I thought she was crazy. And that's in parentheses, in that quotes. After this, she began to cry and then said, we should pray for our relationship. I prayed with her, not because I was religious or even believed in the power of prayer, but because we were both naked in bed and what the fuck else was I going to do? Throughout the rest of the night, she kept asking if I loved her and I said yes every time. By that point, we were both dressed and in her kitchen. She kept asking me though, did I love her? And I kept saying yes, but she wanted something more. She told me I needed to prove it to her, but I didn't know how. Somewhere around midnight, for what seemed like hours on this questioning, I found myself sobbing on the floor of her kitchen, asking her what she wanted and how I could prove it to her, that I loved her. Looking back, I feel terrible about this relationship. I finally recognized that it was an abusive relationship. Uh, and in parentheses, thanks to my current girlfriend. Any positive experiences with your abusers? Yes, we did have good moments together, and I still feel like I could have handled our situation and the breakup better than I did. I don't know many people that feel like they ever handled the breakup uh, well. I did, didn't have some type of regret about something. Uh, darkest thoughts, occasionally killing myself. Nothing concrete or any more than a fleeting thought, but more like things would not be as difficult financially if I didn't live. Um, 
darkest secrets. Uh, he doesn't have any. Uh, sexual fantasies most powerful to you, public sex, sex in a library, or a public bathroom. I think the thrill of getting caught is my biggest turn-on, something I don't feel shame about admitting. What, if anything, would you like to say to someone you haven't been able to? To my ex-girlfriend, I hope you're doing better, and the person you are engaged to is good for you. What, if anything, do you wish for? A better job, more money, the typical things, I think. Have you shared these things with others? Yes, I've shared these thoughts with my girlfriend who has been nothing but supportive and caring. She is the Robin to my Batman and we are fighting crime together. Uh, how do you feel after writing these things down? Slightly ashamed of my kink, but not enough to not share it. Anything you'd like to share with someone who shares your thoughts or experiences? Don't stay in abusive relationships. It's not worth the time. If someone you know has depression, urge them to get help. But ultimately, if they can or won't, then you need to leave them. Codependent and depressive partners are physically and emotionally draining. Amen. Amen. That is that is as sick as the person who... Re- staying with somebody who refuses to get help is as sick as the person who refuses to get help. This, what do I want to read next? This is uh, some struggle in a sentence filled out by a woman who calls herself Princess of Bed Kingdom in the Land of Isolation about her depression. Hopeless depression keeps me indoors, which makes me more depressed, which makes me spend more time indoors. About her anxiety, leaving my house sometimes feels like cliff diving. About her anger issues, I'm so fucking angry that everyone's questions about my sexual assault are related to reporting the crime, what I could have done differently or should do differently, quote, next time, and if I was in any way to blame through my choices, not how I'm doing or how they can help me get through the aftermath of this crime. Boy, that that is... Uh, there. There is no... You cannot overstate the importance of what she just wrote um so many people who have been experienced some type of sexual trauma um are then traumatized even more by somebody focusing on the the details of it instead of just being a person that that is there to listen and love. This is also a struggle in a sentence survey. And this is a, uh, filled out by a woman who calls herself whoever you want me to be until I'm not. And this is a snapshot from her life. She writes, I start the day well. Get up early, do yoga, take a long walk with the dog, who seems to feel rather put upon for having to leave the couch. Sit down with a cup of coffee to work on that project I've started and told everyone about. After all, this project will finally turn me into that normal human being I once set out to become. For about an hour, I open tabs with social media sites and close them as soon as I see that those people on there are actually doing things. Let me pause this for a second. By that time, 
I've smoked five cigarettes, chewed off all my cuticles, and my head has pummeled that supposed project into a puny little heap of desolation that sits in a corner, whimpering and waiting to die. It's 10 a.m. and I'm overwhelmed by the number of hours still to be endured until it's finally time to fall asleep, high and with a podcast drowning out the poisonous thoughts. Oh my God, can I relate to so many parts of that? I don't necessarily compare myself to uh, what other people are doing on Facebook, but that perfectionism of, ah, yeah, I'm going to work on this thing today, and then I get all perfectionist about it, and I just wind up playing Scrabble for five hours and then taking a nap and hating myself. Um, this was a question uh, that somebody had. It was buried inside a struggle in a sentence and it was about the the whole Duggar thing, Jessa Duggar, um, who was one of the um, victims of uh, Josh, uh, her older brother Josh. Um, And uh, apparently he was like 13 and she was, um, I don't know how old she was, but um, he sexually abused his his younger sisters and um, Jessa wrote an article saying that Josh was not a pedophile, a rapist, or child molester, and that she was, should be allowed to say these things because um, she was the victim. And um, this, this person um, was going back and forth between being mad at her for saying that and feeling sorry for her because she'd been through this. And, sh- and she asked the question, what do I think about this type of normalization of incest? And I don't know if it's if it's normalizing incest, I think I think it's it's one of those I think this is a classic example of the last thing we need to do here is to try to force a label on what happened um because it's not productive to Jessa it's not productive to um people who are trying to learn more about you know these things and it's probably not productive for um, Josh. Uh, I think what's important is for him to get help um, and and to take a hard look at what it was um, that that he did to and to eventually uh, be able to um, make amends to his sister and to hopefully forgive himself um, for her to process what happened to her. Um, but the trying to fit it into a box of saying, yeah, he's a child molester, he's this, you know, if if I ha- if you put a gun to my head and said, you have to classify as this, this is something, I would say, you know, he was somebody who w- was sexually abusive as a child. Because to me, 13, you're, you're still a child. Yeah, you should know better than a child who's six or seven. But, um, you know, everything is on a continuum. Um, so few things are really cut and dried. And so much effort is wasted trying to force things into binary choices. And, I mean, you look at the look at the the hell that people in the trans community go through because they don't fit into um, our society's binary view. And um, just the, the the four years of doing this podcast, the, the more I see 
how much anguish and anxiety and self-hatred and confusion could be more easily dealt with if we gave up the idea of putting things into boxes and having firm labels on things. I hope that makes sense. Oh, this next one is too dark, and uh, my voice is starting to go, so I'll save this for another uh, another day. Um, let's get to some happy shit. This is a happy moment, and uh, this is filled out by a woman who calls herself, I'm going to assume this is her actual name, but maybe not, Lydia Bennett. And she writes, last summer, shortly after finishing college, I went to a Jenny Lewis concert with my friend. We had been roommates and extremely close friends as freshmen, but had since drifted apart somewhat and only saw each other once every few months at most. We ended up having a great time, chatting, singing, and dancing together at the concert. Then, Jenny did an a cappella rendition of her song, A Better Son Slash Daughter, which is about her own experience with depression and the abuse she suffered at the hands of her drug-addicted mother. In spite of everything her mother has done to her, and in spite of her sadness and anxiety, she still longs to be, quote, a better daughter, and sings about the dream of a happier future. I have always related to this song, and hearing one of my favorite singers perform it so plainly and honestly had me in tears, and I found myself leaning against a pillar to keep from sinking to the ground. Suddenly, I felt my friend's hand in my own, and I remembered all our late nights talking in our side-by-side twin beds. I remembered how she worried about me like a mother should, and how when I was freaking out with anxiety, she would make me play the worst-case scenario game by helping me see through all the consequences or lack thereof of my choices and calm me down. Most of all, I remembered the time I ended up in the emergency room in the winter of that freshman year and how my friend brought my stuffed zebra from our dorm room. I remembered writhing in the hospital bed and my friend racing down the hall to get a nurse because they weren't coming when we buzzed the button. She stayed by my side all night until my mother could drive across the country to be there, even when our RA showed up and urged her to go home and get some rest. I looked back over my shoulder and saw that my friend was crying too. I looked around the room. Everyone was crying. No one was hiding it. People were holding each other and singing along. Everyone knew the words these words about fear and shame and wanting to die that I had clung to for so long. In that moment, I truly felt that I was not alone in my life or in mental illness. I was sobbing. I had never been happier. I should have ended the podcast on that one. This is uh, a What Has Helped You, um, filled out by Mama DTG, DTG. I am getting too tired. Mama DTJ. And uh, her issues are diagnosed bipolar disorder and undiagnosed anxieties. She writes, they are paralyzing. What has helped you? Knitting! Exclamation point. It is a way for me to empty my mind and channel my manic creative energy. I highly recommend some kind of handicraft as a distraction from anxious thoughts. It's great to make things because then you have something to look at or hold and you can say, I made this. I heartily agree. And I would go woodwork if I wasn't so depressed. (laughs) This is a happy moment from Liz. She writes, Today I took a nap with my dog. She's a small lap dog, but I'm sure she thinks it's all about her. We slept back to back for a while, but then I changed positions. 
As soon as I did, as soon as I did that, she popped her head out of sleep and looked at me as if I was crazy. The sunlight from my window wasn't too bright, but just warm enough for the both of us. It was such a happy moment for me, because for a brief moment, I let go of the anxiety and depression I had been living under for the past few months. There, I gotta say, there's nothing better than a dog nap. My dogs have never verbally shamed me for a nap. Not, not even given me a... Because, a, you know, Ivy... If, if there's going to be a dog in the universe that's judgmental, it's Ivy. She's always been happy every single time I've gotten into bed for a nap. This is, uh, finally, this is a happy moment filled out by a woman who calls herself Anxious Unicorn Nurse. And she writes, when I was around five or so, my great-grandfather gave me a plastic toy doll. One day, soon after he'd given it to me, I was playing with it in his room at the back of my grandparents' house, and one of the doll's shoes fell off. He came to my aid, putting it back on, and noticed that the doll's heel had been pushed in and got stuck that way. It had been that way when he gave it to me, and I had tried to fix it, then eventually accepted it, but when my uh, papa saw it, he was clearly dismayed he'd given me something that was less than perfect. He took the longest time trying to fix it, and I remember watching him, knowing how much I was loved and feeling so respected by an adult, so very much my senior. I knew then that it was a memory I needed to actively save away as deeply as I could. He finally quit trying to fix the doll's heel and just gave me a huge hug, and we played together some more. He died a few years later, and I would summon up that memory from time to time when I needed to feel like I had an ally or a supply of unquestionable love. Thank you, everybody, who filled out those surveys. And um, thank you to... Uh, oh, my God. I need to go to bed. Thank you to Sheila and Kim. And uh, if you're out there and you're feeling stuck, uh, don't give up. You are not alone. Never have been. You never will be. It's only your mind telling you that you're the only one going through what you're going through and feeling what you're feeling. And um, find somebody to open up to. And um, yeah, I think that's it. Thanks for listening. Everybody I know is bizarrely beautifully Everybody fucked up I know in some weird way. Bizarrely beautifully Everybody fucked up in some weird way. Bizarrely beautifully fucked up in some weird way.